The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Previously on the Mike Wise Show... No matter how well I played, how well I ran the team that night, how many games we won, like, you just couldn't please him. Yeah. And, uh... Like that was my fourth game with him. Um, we were on the, we were starting a West West Coast trip playing the Clippers, and I had a, what I thought was an unbelievable game. I had like twenty nine points. I had ten ten assists, nine rebounds, two turnovers, and we won at the end of a game in L A. And I was uh, we were we were kind of celebrating walking through the tunnel. And Larry was coming behind us, and he was walking with his head down, shaking his head. And uh, oh man, I don't know why I did, but I went back there. I was like, "Coach, what's up? You all right? What's going on?" And he looked at me in disgust, and he said, "Son, you just have no idea how to play that position for me." Oh no! I said, "Look, Coach, look, look, man. I don't know what." in the world you're talking about. But tonight, you're not about to steal my shine, bro. We're going to talk about this tomorrow. <laughs> and then I went I went on into the locker room. But, and, and, you know, it was me and him was, I mean, we, we that first probably 50, 30, no, probably 50 games, man. It was like a, it was, it was, man, it was back and forth like crazy. And then once I figured out, we, we met a lot, talked a lot. Both were willing, you know, to really kind of change, work it out. Once I figured out that you couldn't please him, that, that he was just going to be who he was going to be, I just I quit worrying about it. And then our, our relationship took off like a rocket. It was awesome. So, yeah, But he made me better, man. He made me better. I, I love Larry. I jump off the bridge for Larry Brown, man. That was future Hall of Famer Chauncey Billups from last week's Mike Wise Show talking about his complex relationship with Coach Larry Brown and how he was a tough grader. This week's guest is none other than Hall of Famer, Dream Teamer, and Brooklyn legend, Chris Mullen. And does he have some stories? Hit it, Darlene! The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Welcome to the Mike Wise Show, formerly the Wise-Ass Show, until Twitter made me change the name so we could get advertising. Uh, Chris Mullen, my guest today, being from Brooklyn and being about as real as I know, would have liked the original name, but you know, you know how it is, Molly. You got to be politically correct nowadays. Mike, my pleasure to be here, and I love that name. I won't say it for for your sponsor's sake, but I do love that name. <laughs> uh, in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, it's like saying good morning. You know, that's, like, that's with respect. Right, 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 right. They always yeah. said like, you know, you go to New York and you ask a guy, "Excuse me, what time is it?" And he, the guy's like, well, "What the hell do I look like, Big Ben?" Um, yeah, exactly. That, that's how people respond to you. Uh, sir, you recently returned to your Bay Area home after a couple years at St. John's, your alma mater coaching. Uh, you mm-hmm. you adjusting to Bay Area life again fairly easy? Yeah, it's a seamless fit for anybody. I would think, Mike, you, you <laughs> spent some time out here. Yeah, so it was, my plan was always to come back. Um, I've been blessed to be able to live on both coasts virtually my whole adult life. Um, my four years at St. John's was great. I had a great time. Uh, coached some wonderful kids and we had, you know, increased wins each and every season, and uh, just just time to, t- to do something different. And uh, yeah, so I, I usually have a pretty good feel when it's time to move on. And yeah. uh, I don't know who said it, but but ideally a year too early as opposed to a year too late. <laughs> yeah. Before we get into uh, that a little bit, I, I wanted to just say, going back to the Bay Area, did you get a chance to take in some of the last games uh, of the Warriors at uh, the old Oakland Coliseum Arena, obviously now the Oracle? 
Yeah, I did. Actually, I was at the last game, uh, game six of the, of the of the finals, and um, you know, it was obviously a, uh, a different type of series historically, just because of those two, you know, horrific, uh, you know, season-ending injuries to, to Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson. Um, but yeah, it's been a special place for 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 the Warriors to play in Oakland. Um, you know, I came out here in 1985. And you know we all yeah and Mike you've been around a long time we all know yeah. sports is very it's just very cyclical right so and then the, when when those when those cycles change you know you have, there is you do have some input with good drafting and a little bit of luck here and there and of course health um, but I've seen the Warriors you know a lot of different cycles through through my playing career I was a GM for a while mm-hmm. um, and then just as a fan living in the area those it was a glorious five years like you know it's one of the dynasties. And uh, yeah. I think just recently we've seen all these players move. I think it shows how, how dominant they were because a lot of these teams that, that you know, have two superstars now, they couldn't compete with that, the Warriors team that was put together the, the, the last three years. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and when I think of old school Warriors, um, well, I guess past Rick Barry and Nate Thurman and all those guys, I think run TMC um, probably – being shoot a little bit younger than you only by months. I, I was in love with that team. I mean, it was, that that was the team. I wish I was good enough to play on and I never was. And therefore I watched, but man, (laughs) you guys brought back. And I know part of it was Nelly and his offensive ingenuity, but a lot of it was Tim Hardaway, Chris Mullen and Mitch Richmond um, playing off each other like few players did in, uh, you know, a post big three era after the Lakers and Celtics. And I always thought, you know, even with Mr. Mean, Larry Smith, all the guys you had, I always thought that that was the team I really wanted to win it all because I thought before these warriors did, those warriors were like, they brought joy to the game. And, and to me, you know, growing up in North California, Hawaii, wherever I was, that's what basketball was about. It made you want to go to the playground every day. And that's what, that's what run TMC was about in my mind. Yeah, I agree, Mike. And, and look, a lot had to do with the style of play. And Nelly, Nelly was a genius. He really was offensive genius on how to uh, not only teach the game, um, but, but uh, instill that, that, that freedom and passion, which you're talking about, which really translates into a fan base because people can tell, if you're having fun, right? And, of course, mm-hmm. winning is first and foremost, but there is a style in how you do things that people also gravitate towards. Um, so Mitch, Tim, and I only played two seasons together, which is amazing. That's crazy. See, I would have said yeah, two, six to seven. That's crazy. I didn't even I, I didn't even know that till we all sat down, uh, I think it was before I was inducted into the Hall of Fame, and I didn't really didn't even know it till then. It felt like I played those guys forever. So, so the impact of that style of play, um, had and it, look, it, it took a long time for to break through to be a winner. I know Phoenix got close. Mm-hmm. Even when, I, when we were playing Run CMC, the Phoenix Suns were a good team at that. Cotton Fitzsimmons played that style, but yes. just at that point in time, a lot of teams had great centers, so it was hard to play small because they would make you pay. They would just back you down the post and either get you in foul trouble or continuously put you know put layups in. So it was it was a different time as far as having big players. Uh, legit centers back then um but yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a great time and, and like you said the impact that we had just in two seasons uh was pretty phenomenal no it was and it was i know in a way yeah run tmc your your warrior teams were a pioneer to what the game became i mean like you said so many teams came close the uh the dallas mavericks with steve nash and dirk before yeah. steve nash went to phoenix and that became another team and and the the Sacramento Kings, I mean, having my sister lives in the Sacramento area, just seeing what that franchise was and what it became, and the Chris Weber, Mike Bibby days at their at their height, that was as fun and and as entertaining and as competitive as basketball gets. And like you said, take Shaquille Shaquille O'Neal out of the equation, and you got you know a two yeah. or three time champion right there. But it was it wasn't to be, and it wasn't till the warriors of Steph and Clay and Draymond and obviously some rule changes that those war, this warriors uh, area became a dynasty. I was personally, I was, I don't know if I was depressed, 
but it definitely brought back memories of all the things I'd seen at the Oakland Coliseum from shoot covering a high school game for the Sacramento Union back in like I'm talking shoot I guess you were there then I remember seeing Jason Kidd in 10th grade St. Joe's was playing Crenshaw and the whole place uh, not Crenshaw but St. Joe's was playing Skyline and the some security guard from the Oakland Coliseum I know you know who it is he walks into the press room and he goes you guys got to see there's this boy out there. He's he's half white, half black. He's taking over the arena. And I and, yeah, and I think about yeah. the nights that you were there. I think of the night, shoot, I remember Tracy Murray scoring like 66 in a game um, in high school. I remember Rick Barry. It just it, – closing that building down, man, it brought back – it brought back a lot of nostalgia and memories. And it almost – I know that they're still the Golden State Warriors, but leaving Oakland, man, I, I think that's a punch to the heart for a lot of that community. Yeah, well, you know, there's not a lot of fan bases in the NBA that, um, you know, kind of relate to their fan base as much as, as Oakland, you know, did with uh, with their fan base. Uh, you know, each telecast you see, you know, that they, they just go through the crowd and say this this crowd's been here so long, almost almost like a college atmosphere type situation. Um, and I think it's because of the cycles that it's went through and that the fan base was always so, so consistent and loyal. You talk about the history, Mike, you know, you have to mention Al Adels, right? You know, oh. The guy dedicated his whole life. You know, he was the GM when I came here, played every role in the organization mm-hmm. and did it with dignity and class and, and just, just the perfect uh, role model for every NBA player, how to handle his, how to handle yourself uh, in good times and bad. Nate Thurman, Rick Barry, you mentioned, you know, some of the great, great players that came through here. Uh, so this is, this is a proud proud franchise and, and they're just coming off an incredible mm-hmm. uh, dynasty of five years. But also, you know, you talk about the, the style of play, Mike, it's funny mm-hmm. how to me, it all, it all gets back to like the Knicks and the Celtics, right? So you talked about, you know, run TMC. That was Nelly really teaching um, fast break basketball with the pass, right? And Nelly, yes. Nelly always preached, if you smalls always beat, if you play, put the five smalls on the court and play five bigs, the five smalls are going to beat them because of skill, right? Passing, mm-hmm. shooting, uh, quickness, um, and then you, you brought up Sacramento. That was Rick Adelman really teaching uh, Dr. Jack Ramsey's Portland style. Oh, of yeah. Passing, spacing, uh, and then you talk about Steve Kerr, who just, you know, had just incredible five years. That comes from Phil Jackson, who came mm-hmm. from Red Holzman. So it really gets back to the old, old 60s and 70s Celtics with passing. I remember watching the Knicks when I was growing up. Their, their motto was hit the open man. Just keep yes. that ball moving. And I could still see Bill Bradley, Dave DeBusher, Willis Reeve, well, just sharing the ball and just, just let that ball move and get the open shot. So it's funny how, you know, look, the athletes, the, the guys are more athletic, but I think the game is in a great place now because it's emphasizing skill. It's not just yes. about uh, size and strength and, and there's a place for everybody. Um, who knows, years earlier, does Steph Curry become one of the greatest players ever we've seen? Yeah, no, you're so right. It always bothered me, like when when I loved the Celtics and Lakers, and they were physical and defenses won shame, all that. The bottom line was the skill level of those guys. The James, like I, for for so long, a guy with James Worthy's build almost was, you know, like if you didn't look like Anthony Mason um, or somebody of that size, you couldn't play that position anymore. And I was like, come on now. Uh, James Worthy was an all-time player, and he was strong. He was physical. He could run. He could shoot. But what he did most was um, he, he played basketball. He was a basketball player. He wasn't, he, he wasn't just a specialist that, you know, uh, got in somebody's grill. He did everything. And, and now that that game has come back, you know, it's, just, yeah, it's, that, much, it's that much better. It's that much better a league. Uh, Chris Mullins, my guest, if anybody doesn't know, Mully, well, you you need to. Uh, he's a two-time Hall of Famer. He went in with the Dream Team in 2010, and then as an individual in 2011. He's uh, he's done more in basketball than shoot only a handful of players in this world. And he's coming off coaching college now. He's back in the Bay Area. What are you going to do next? I think this year I might do some TV this year. I might just take a year and kind of. Um just kind of enjoy it and, and, and get acclimated back to the NBA a bit and really just kind of have a, a year rejuvenation, you know, uh, get on a little lighter schedule mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, just, just kind of enjoy life, man. ESPN, Fox, uh, TNT, where are you going? 
Um, I don't know yet. We'll see. You enjoyed it? Yeah, it was good. I, I you know, I was with Bruce Bernstein and, and the guys uh, after my GM stint. I was there for three years. You know, did radio, did TV, did, yeah. did all the NBA shows, and yeah, so it's good experience. I, I kind of know the later land, so uh, yeah, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Again, a person I've never heard of, Bruce Bernstein. I have no idea yeah. who you're talking. <laughs> uh, he my, was in charge of telling us where to go and when to be there. That was, hey, if he didn't the do that. Hey, he, that's, the old, that's the ultimate boss. He's controlling your schedule. Oh, no. If, if he wasn't in my life right now, I yeah. th- th- they wouldn't even hear about me in the NBA anymore. Like, <laughs> the guy is, is indispensable, as you know. Yeah, um, I, that's awesome. So, you, so I look at – do you have, still have a decent relationship with Nelly? Do you talk to him anymore? I haven't spoke to him recently. Um, yeah. yeah, but we go way back. Nelly and I. Um, look, he coached me. It was it was my favorite time playing basketball. His style. He taught me so much about mm. uh, you know intricacy of the game and you know just the team dynamic. And then when I was the GM, I brought him back to coach. Yes. He was able to break the, the the most wins coaching record. Uh, and now he's living a good life in Maui. And. Uh, so I haven't yeah. been over there. I was over there. We went over to St. John's one year, but I don't think he was in town when I was there. Um, but he, he's a great, great guy, and, and I got nothing but admiration and respect for him. Yeah, no, I, I think of Nelly, and I just think uh, the story on real sports, lives in Maui, plays poker, grows weed, takes a puff now and then, hangs with Willie Nelson, that yep. Willie Nelson, and, and was recently in you know, a really nice story, was reunited with a daughter he never knew he had, I mean, you know, when he was coach of the Knicks for a very short time, there were a couple of moments where I was like, is he just trying to get fired here? But he was such a different guy. And I know he, he, he not only gave you a, it gave you a great professional life and, and what he taught you, he was, he was instrumental, if I remember, in helping you um, deal with your addiction to alcohol. Yeah, so, so a lot of people had a lot of input on that. And, okay. Uh, Nelly was great, um, was very straightforward with me. You know, anyone that's in, in, in a 12-step program understands it's really not uh, a human uh, intervention. It's really a divine intervention that really, really has to take over your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so there was a lot of people that helped me. Nelly was absolutely one of them. Uh, like I said, so looking back, uh, I'm so grateful for, for playing for him. Uh, like I said, not just, just not just as a player, but also the, the, the things that he helped me with off the court mm. were very, very important to me. And, and, and I'm, you know, to this day, very grateful for that. Um, and I just, you know, I always marveled at his, uh, his genius, right? So, he, you know, yeah. guys, you know, he was a great coach in Milwaukee. You know, they, they had some great, great teams. They were Marcus Johnson, Sidney Moncrief, and um, battled the Celtics in those Eastern Conference battles and the Celtics in the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, then when he came out here, he turned this Golden State Warrior franchise around, and like you said, he bounced around after he stopped with the Knicks, got Dallas uh, right mm-hmm. to the brink to where they, you know, a few years later, they were able to win a championship. Uh, so he's left his mark wherever he's been um, yeah. on and off the court, and I'm sure he's leaving his mark in Maui, obviously off the court now. You, you mentioned his buddies over there that hang with him, and uh, he deserves a good life because he's a good man. The Nelly, the old Celtic, uh, now a 79-year-old stoner in Hawaii. I can't imagine what <laughs> Red Auer, Red Auerbach, wherever he is now, must be just shaking his head like, like God damn. You know what? Red might be, he probably would go join him right now. He'd probably say, well, <laughs> let, me, let me put something in this cigar. I'll, I'll hang out. <laughs> um, Chris Mullins, the guest. Uh, Mully's been great on off the court. I don't know if I ever told you this, but my – my father was um, an alcoholic, recovering alcoholic. Um, uh, as I became a teenager, he got into AA. And later, um, I never knew that any of that stuff affected me. Of course, I ended up in uh, an adult ACOA group, adult children of alcoholics. And I'll tell you what, at one point in my life, man, this program, 12-step, uh, talking to guys about stuff that men, most men don't talk about between themselves, it's, you know, it helped me save my life at, at one point. And um and so I guess what I wanted to salute you for was at a time when guys, you know, now I know it's very um, in to come out and say, I, I received help. I asked for help. And whether it's um, meta world peace, um, whether it's a player with an alcohol or drug problem, 
there is something about coming forward and saying, this is what I'm going through. At the time, it was a big stigma. Like, oh, no. Oh, no. Molly's a drunk. What's he doing? His, his career is over. And you and you 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 took it head on and you didn't mind talking about it. And so anyway, I, for what it's worth, I wanted to salute you for that. I know it's 20 years late. <laughs> yeah, but I think that there's, there's a lot to be said about that, Mike. Um, this day and age, it, the good thing is it's become a little bit easier for people to do that. Not not totally right. So there's mm-hmm. still a lot of people that suffer. And it's important that they know there's there's a way out and there's help and people are there to help and support them. And that's what I received. And it's important you give that back, right? So there's a lot of different yeah. sayings in the program. And to keep it, you have to give it away. So you got to be willing to help the other person um, that's that's suffering, right? And uh, so being grateful and, and being humble is very important. Uh, but I do think there's a lot, a lot of things that I don't like about social media. But, but if it brings out um, education and avenues for people to release and share their feelings, I think that that has been a positive yeah. Um, you mentioned different people with, with mental illness and different things, whatever it might be. You know, we all suffer at some point in our lives uh, with something, right? And so it's, it's, the strength really is in having someone to share your feelings with and just, just get it off your shoulders, you know? So that was a point in time in my life that people were there for me, right? My family yeah. was there for me, my coaches, Coach Bonaseca, Nelly, uh, my agent, Bill Pollock, they were all there for me. So I felt confident that I was going to be okay. I didn't know it. But there was enough support where I had the confidence um, that I was going to be okay, whatever that might be. And I actually, uh, you got to take that risk. I was willing to uh, give my career up to be happy because I was not a happy person at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the long-term effects have been I've been very uh, open with other people. And also with my life, if things are not um, – going right, I'm, I'm able to step away, take time to figure it out. It, it doesn't always have to be uh, this day has to be filled with multiple things and multitasking. Sometimes it, you, your body and your mind needs a little break. You know, and that's one thing I wonder about, um, you know, this day and age, you know, we always talk about uh, load management these days. Right? That's a popular term uh, <laughs> physically, but it's always related to the physical part. The other part, too, is the mental part. There is a part where you need load management for your brain. And uh, some t- some downtime, um, so yeah, it's you know it's it's, it's a good mm-hmm. thing I think to to share that and like you said, everyone's had look whether it be cancer, uh, alcohol, drugs, uh, mental illness, whatever it might be, we all go through something. Uh, so it's nice for people to know that you know you're not alone. That's the first and foremost thing, and that there's no stigma. You know, you, yeah. you're part of a, a huge group, and 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 that's what it's all about: is sharing and helping other people. Now, I remember getting out of one of these places, whatever they call it, intimacy relationship group. I'm in Georgetown and uh, at some church, and I walk out one day, and I wasn't part of the, what do you call it, the fucked up men's club anymore. I was part of a club that actually looked, got outside that, those, those doors one day and looked at everybody else and said, wait a minute, that guy needs to be in the room, too. <laughs> like The, the well, people on the outside that aren't dealing with this stuff are the people that need to be in this room because... It's actually the healing club. Isn't that the messed up club? Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, you know, you take that to a different level, Mike, with, in an athletics uh, uh, standpoint where you take everything on, right? You never give up. You just compete mm. and compete. Uh, what I did learn when it, there's, is that there's actually power in surrendering. That mm. Surrendering is not a weak thing. You surrender to be able to move on, right? So uh, sometimes – that's that's like a like a curse word in sports, right? But but in 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 life, it's actually it's a powerful thing to be able to uh, be vulnerable, surrender, and then move on. Yeah, and then give up and realize you don't control everything. And you know, it's it's just that was one of the one of the great things. The guy comes into the room this one day and he says, "Hey, I don't." Um, I have a real problem. I don't even believe in God. And this guy looked at me and goes, you know what? You know, you know, you could, your higher power could be a squirrel. He said, but the bottom line is, he goes, um, you don't have to believe in God to be in here. He said, you just have to know you're not him. <laughs> and yep. I, like, Serenity, I was like, Serenity you know what? Is a beautiful thing. Serenity yep. is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, um, I, I also want to say, everybody knows a lot of your charitable efforts with many different people. One of them, was a guy that I've been doing a story on for Sports Illustrated, working on for like a year now, and it's going to come out very soon. And I don't care to tell. I don't. It's not exactly a scoop because nobody's going to have the relationship I've developed with this kid. And I don't. He's not a kid. He's fifty now. 
Um, Demetrius Hook Mitchell. Someone told me that you had offered, he's this playground legend from Oakland. I'm sure you know of him. He, he said that you, you had offered him a job at one point uh, or some help with the Warriors. Is that correct? Yeah. So, again, you go back to, to you know, basketball, man. It's, it's funny how it connects people. And, you know, I, I, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, my, I mentioned earlier, my whole adult life being bi-coastal, being in, in the Bay Area in New York. Yeah. Um, two of the greatest cities in the world. And, you know, basketball is a huge, uh, you know, impact on, on both communities. So I've got to know so many different people, different generations. So back, you know, when you mentioned Jason Kidd, I remember playing with him. He was 10th, 11th grade. He played pickup with us. And, and oh, I, was picking awesome. him. I was, I was, I was picking him first, even back then. <laughs> wow. He was such a great, great player. Um, yeah. But Hook Mitchell was in with that, with that group of guys, you know, uh, Antonio Davis was yeah. another local Oakland guy. I was friends with Hook and, We'd all play back in the day before we had practice facilities. We would bounce around all over Oakland. There was a time we would practice at uh, Alameda College. It's just a little uh-huh. junior, junior college over at Alameda. And they'd all come over and play pickup with us. Tim Mitch and Brian Shaw, uh-huh. uh, Gary, Gary Payton, Steve Nash, uh, up and down the line, you name it. Oh, oh yeah, because Nash was at Santa Clara then. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So we had we had a great gym, and Hook was one of those legendary park guys, much like the guys in the Rucker, and you know, you hear about different guys um, yeah, from the helicopter yeah. in New yeah. York, you know, guys like that. So yeah, so back yeah. when I was the GM, I would bump into him. He, you know, one day I was coming out of a draft meeting, I saw him in the street, and I told him, I said, "Man, just come see me." He was, you know, he was a little banged up at the time. I said, "If you want to spend some time," and, and that's kind of what I'm talking about, just being. Yeah, but for the grace, of, but for the grace of God, there go I, right? So yes. as opposed to judging and 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 like that, just lending someone maybe sometimes it's just a time or just a hello or a smile. Um, yeah, so he's a legendary Oakland, you know, street guy, uh, park player. Uh, had some tough times, but always had. A, I always felt like in his eyes, I could see like a good person and he had a good heart. Yeah, did 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 he ever take you up on that or not? I know he started doing some camps. He started doing some yeah. community outreach with the Warriors. Yeah. You know what I mean? We do work the kids. Came up. You know, I think I gave him a tryout. He came up and, and tried out a little bit. Oh, that's right. Out. That's right. He had so the tri- – how – you gave him a tryout, and he, he – yeah. it was like 2007 or something. Yeah, he and, came up. We had like a free agent camp. I invited him up. And, uh, you know, I, I think if you, if you talk to him again, I think he wasn't really in great, great shape. So I think he cramped up a little bit and couldn't get yeah. through the workout. But but it was more to get back into society, right? Being accepted yeah. and just, just give a guy a chance. That's all it was. Yeah. No, it's amazing. And uh, people are familiar with the story where after Manu Bolo, uh, rest in peace, he had hurt himself really bad in a taxi cab incident. You and you and the Warriors offered to raise money for his medical bills. You remained close to him, uh, you know, right up until his, his passing. Are you in touch with Bobo, his son, much? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know all his. I know Bobo pretty well. Uh, Good. He's a sweet kid. He's a sweet kid. Um, got a lot of minute in him, too. You know, it's amazing how uh-huh. uh, how how the genes just get passed down. He's, he's got a lot of minute in him. Um yeah, and so Manute, you know, look, I played with Manute just a few years as well, but he, I go back, he played with my brother at the University of Bridgeport. So I met Manute when I was oh, in college. That's yeah, right. So I knew him, yeah, I knew him when he first came over. Um, they used to actually come down from Bridgeport to, to watch me play at St. John's. So, so we, go, we go way, way back. Um, so it's amazing to watch uh, just some of Bobo's mannerisms that just bring back you know, I just see Minute so much in him, and uh, he's going to be a heck of a – he's a talented kid, boy. I tell you, I watched him – I recruited oh. him a little bit to come to St. John's. I watched him a lot through the uh, AU circuit, and he's got a lot of talent. I, I see a little bit – you know, the pick – Denver picked him 44th in the second round, 44th overall. I think they picked Jokic at 48. So, if he can get himself healthy, I think in a, in a few years, man, that could, that could be a huge uh, pickup for the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. That's a team that's on the doorstep now with yeah, how, how, how all the craziness in the offseason. We have much more coming up with Chris Mullen, including great stories about Larry Bird, Larry Brown, and Mark Jackson. But first, shameless plugs for our other Pure Hoops media shows. They're all great, featuring marquee guests like Chris Mullen, 
many other Hall of Famers, great characters and influencers of the game, and a level of discussion that will make you a smarter fan. I'm here each Monday with The Mike Wise Show. Wednesday, we present Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko. If you didn't hear their most recent show with former Sixer and Net, Todd McCulloch, you need to check it out. It is hysterical, and I mean that. We also have Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and her cast of characters. They chop it up with a new show every Thursday. And Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. If you want great takes and great interviews, check all of our shows out. Chris Mullen is my guest. Molly is uh, giving me some gifts here. I would like to extract a few more from him because, look, you know, besides his New York upbringing, besides his Brooklyn roots, besides all the great days at St. John's when wearing a T-shirt under your uniform was a thing, because Patrick Ewing did it too. Wait, wait, who did it first? You or him? I think Patrick. But you know okay. what? I, okay. you'd have to, if you get a hold of him, you can back oh, yeah. then. Yeah. So we first, that's when we first moved from like the, the campus gyms over to the arenas. Yep. We were getting, we mostly played at noon. And a lot of times the, the, the ice was down and the place was freezing. Ah. That's really, we started wearing like hooded sweatshirts to warm up because the, 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 the gyms were freezing. Well, and a lot of them um, had hockey games too, the big exactly. ones. Exactly. So they'd have the hockey game the night before, leave the ice down, they'd throw us on the floor. That's when the, we played East Boston College at the Boston Garden. Mm. And we played the Cap Center, the Garden, and we played Villanova over the, um, the old Spectrum. What? You know, like that's one of those little anecdotes. Like, I had no idea. I thought it was a style thing. That's, that's unbelievable. No, no, no. Not for me. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Patrick. Patrick had a nice. Patrick had a nice little T-shirt with a yeah. switch on. He might have got. He might Nike might have been taking care of him even back then. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> hey, if he was, I, I, I had a white. I think I had a white Hanes T-shirt. Yeah, you, you, you had you had a white Hanes T-shirt. Yeah, Nike might have been taking care of him. If he wasn't taking care of, he should have been. Every time I see yeah. now a story about like college player accepts, but like like I always think like the headline should be, you know. Chris Weber didn't accept a dime as the top high school player in the nation. Like what? The, the top high school player didn't get any money. What kind of like, right. that's wrong? Yeah. Like to me, it's just yeah. the whole system. But, but at any rate, um, you, you, you were selected to a team that is still and forevermore going to be looked at as the standard in, uh, in an international basketball, because it was the first year that pros were allowed uh, the dream team I, you know, I know you only started two games, but you were integral in that part. And w- what an experience. I just look, I look back on that and I just say like, wow, what a, like, our, like how, whatever Davis Durham was trying to do, it worked because people were buying NBA gear all over the world after that. And any, any, anything that really stands out memory wise. Yeah, so so after shoot, it's almost going on thirty years, right? So after yep. um, the basketball itself was was dynamic and and phenomenal and fun and and we dominated and we played together all all, all the great great uh, things you would say about a basketball team is true. I think what you bring up now is really really amazing is David Stern's genius, right? You talk about genius coaches, genius players and things like mm-hmm. that. What David Stern did, uh, and he knew he was doing it at the time. That's what, that's what always got. He, I remember him sitting down telling us this, this, what we're doing right now, and this is in the moment, right? It's going to have mm-hmm. a huge impact beyond what you guys can imagine. Um, and what wow. he was talking about was, was bringing that game global, you know, bringing it, bring, bringing the, something that could only be a dream, to reality to these kids over in Europe and all over the world, right? Um, and lo and behold, here we sit here today, a third of the league is foreign-born players. Some of our best players in the league are foreign-born guys, and a lot of them, the first glimpse they got of NBA basketball up close and personal was that dream team. So that was, that was a, a genius um, move by David Stern, very mm. calculated, and, and it came true. And, and I think we all can – Nothing but gratitude and, and thankful for for David Stern and his and his brilliant uh, mind. Yeah, in in so many ways, I still remember the story of the guy 
uh, like a little TV guy, foreign journalist from Argentina. His name was Adrian Pienza. You probably met him once or twice. And he comes up to the NBA office and Stern had just gotten the job. And he said, hey, um, you know, Stern says, I'd like to offer you the TV rights to the NBA. And he told the guy, Adrian Pienza, I'll give them to you for 2000 And so now this guy is like, you know, thinking, that's it, 2000 And he puts these, these highlights on every night on his little Canal 9 channel in Argentina. And who, know, who sees him but seven-year-old Manu Ginobili? <laughs> and, and he stays up late. And instead of like wanting to be, you know, grow up as Messi or Maradona, he wants to be Michael Jordan. He wants to be Chris Mullen. He wants to be that next great player in the NBA. And all of a sudden you got guys from all over that probably bought rights for 2000 to the NBA in 1984 or whatever. I'm and this is what it became. I mean, it's just crazy. You're right. David Stern was a genius in so many yeah. ways. Yeah. And he really, I thought he thought he was very meticulous and, and very serious about how each and every decision he made was to make the league better, make it more respectable. Um, and he did it to each and every individual player, each organization. Um, and then look, I mean, it's, it's, the most popular sport, I guess, still a little bit behind soccer as far as worldwide, but but it's it keeps gaining ground. And I think yeah. it all started with David Stern. When I uh, really got to know you, you probably don't remember that. When I really got to know you is when I was covering the NBA for the New York Times, and I really really loved that Pacers team um, at the at the turn of the millennium, where I just thought, man, and Chauncey Billups gave me a great anecdote about. I don't think you'll. Obviously, he's pumping him up for himself for the Hall of Fame, but he made a great point. He said, you know, I've researched this and I have not found a player that had bounced around so much as I had at six, seven years and ended up getting off the mat and becoming a finals MVP. And uh, there's no better story in basketball to me than the turn back the clock story. In many ways, I feel like not that the war, but Nelly kind of gave up on you as a player. He loved you as a person, but he gave up on you as a player in those in those mid-90s, and you were sent to Indiana for Dampier and I forget who else. And I just remember, I remember myself like, ah, how much Molly's got left? And yet you started all 82 games that next season, and that's where I felt like I really got to know you, like not only the pulse of that team, but – like there was a pride in you that like, I'm not, my career is not going to end as some guy that was injured at the end and was not in the rotation. And, you know, because Sprewell became the guy, like, I felt like mm. you really turned back the clock. I, that's got to still be prideful for you in a way. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Wow. So, um, so I know 90- I just dropped a lot on you there. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. So 98. So, so yeah. So obviously the, franchise was changing right mm. uh spree was an up-and-coming star uh we had joe smith i think in in the mix there early he was a rookie of the year uh we had changed coaches so nelly had left um rick adelman came in for a few years and then actually pj had just gotten the job mm-hmm. um and i was i was willing to stay at that point in time i knew pj very very well his dad was very close friends with coach Conaseca, so you know, and PJ was an assistant on the dream team. There was there was there was a connection there, but at that point in time, um, if I was going to stay, I was going to stay. So I was I had just finished I think my twelfth twelfth season playing um, for all for the Warriors. Um, had young children. If I was going to stay for the Warriors, I wanted to stay. So we were talking yes. about different different contract situations. Um, one thing I, because the team was rebuilding and, and I knew it and I was, I had been here the whole time. I said, but if I stay, you're not trading me in my 14th year, you know, if I'm not. So that was, so no trade. And I, you know, so lo and behold, Larry got the job. I had a connection with Larry because we played in the dream team. And so we worked out a trade. Um, yeah. So that that's how that went down. Um, and actually, you mentioned starting 82 again. I, in my mind, so going into my 13th year, 34, 35, you know, like I thought I was going to be a, coming off the bench, um, which would have been fine with me with that team. It was a really, really good team I was joining. Uh, but Derek, Derek McKee coming into training camp had knee surgeries. So I was kind of forced into starting lineup. And, yeah, but I, I took a lot of pride later in my career uh, just staying fit, staying ready, uh, so my my two years with the Pacers, my first two years, I think I played quite a bit. 
Um, we had a really deep team. Larry, Larry was a great coach. We had a great staff with, with Rick Carlisle. Uh, Dick Carter. Dick Carter. And Dick Carter ran the defense. Uh, you know, I got reunited with Mark Jackson. You know, I knew him since he was 16 years old. So that was, that was incredible to get, to get reunited with Mark. Played with Reggie, Reggie Miller, uh, Rick Smits, Antonio wow. and Dale Davis. Derek McKee, Sam Perkins. Oh, we had a, we had oh a that great was no team. that team. I love it. I don't know what you know. Maybe because I got all, you know, sort of like Bird was. Even though he wasn't that much older than me, you know, Bird was Bird and Magic were the last guys. I you know I took the I had to take the posters down off my bedroom wall when I became a journalist. Like oh yeah, I got to cover these guys now. But man, they were like they were my idols. And I'm in some ways I'm sure you looked up to Bird in a way. And all of a sudden, That's you. Yeah, he's your player, and then you go from you go from playing with him on the dream team to oh crap! Like, and I don't know if you got this at all. I mean, I'm sure like people tried to make more of it than it was because, as you know, if you could play, you could play. But like, people were like, oh Molly, Molly, the great white hope after Bird, and like, like you, you that was a stigma. I mean, that was a stigma, whether you you took pride in it or not. People wanted to say, like, and that went for everybody, by the way. And my little sorry, you know, one-year college basketball career for Hawaii Pacific, like, I literally would go to the, the, the sub-base gym, and all the brothers, you know, like, they, the respect level was like, oh, it's Bird. I'm like, oh, I'm 16. They're calling me Bird. I love this. Like, yeah. at some point, like, was that, was, that a, was that a point of pride for you? Or was like, you know what, fellas, I'm white, but I can play. Like, w- where do you come down on that? Yeah, I mean, growing up in New York, it was really, you know, um, it was about season the day. Play good that day or don't come back. So that, that yep. was the pressure itself, not really, you know, look, there was some great, great players that, you know, there's always great players that, that people, they can look at you and compare you to. But I never really felt that. I just, I, I tried to emulate Larry Bird. I loved his game. I loved Magic, John Havlicek, Wolf Frazier. I Pistol Pete Maravich. I think these were players that I just loved and I tried to emulate them. You know, I thought they were great players and if I could take some from the game, I would try and do it. Uh, but playing for Larry was awesome. Larry was just as a player, you know, no bullshit, straight up, tell you like it is. Um, he didn't do anything he didn't like to do, which I love. You know, he didn't, he didn't like to, you know, as a player, watch, you know, just watch film for for the sake of watching it. You know what I mean? He would scale it down to the stuff he felt we needed. Practice was all business. He was really into preparing and then going out there and playing and bringing bring your A game. You know, not a lot of room beyond time. Be prepared, play hard, play together, boom. And, and it sounds simple, but that's what he did. And he didn't, yeah. he didn't make much more of it than that. And just like a play, he kept it simple. And then he, he did his job and he did it each and every day. Um, so I actually took a lot from playing for him when I coached my four years coach. I took a lot from him. on just keep it simple. Yes. I'm the work and then, and focus on practice and in the game and let it fly. That's why you practice is to go out there and perform. Um, as much as he had, uh, as much as he, he wanted to win the title when they went against the Lakers in 2000, I, I still feel like, man, it just broke his heart when you guys lost game seven against the Bulls. Cause because I thought of all the times that somebody was going to have Michael's number, it was going to be that season. I mean, that was the year that the Knicks had beaten the Bulls twice in the regular season, including, like, last day of the regular season. Like, I remember Frank Isola and I were sitting courtside, and John Starks just gets this ball that rolls out to him. He hits this three at the United Center. And it's like, holy, that's the last day of the regular season. They just beat him. Like, if they had not gotten thrown out, uh, those guys got not thrown out for leaving the bench against Miami, I thought they would have given the Bulls all they could handle. You guys gave the Bulls all you can handle that year. Yeah, and it's funny. Larry uh, had been so many playoff battles as a player, um, and you talk about just keeping things so simple. Larry was into each and every regular season game because he knew, and then he talked to us. Even I remember the first week of the season, I thought he was crazy. Like, man, he dropped the game, I think, somewhere, you know, first mm-hmm. in November, and he was pissed. His focus was having home court. Oh. Having that game – Yep, and, you know, so he he was very meticulous on that. And so that game, game seven, was in Chicago. So in the back yes. of his mind, if, you know, one or two games in the regular season, we have that game um, at that point in time, it was probably Market Square Arena before Conseco and whatever it's called now. But, yeah, yeah 
And Marcus Fair so, so, Arena so, was on fire. I mean, that 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 was beyond loud. Yeah. So so just just the old school, like like every game does count because that game seven could have been our home game. But yeah, it was a great yeah. game. We, I think we had a, we had a double digit lead in the first half, and you know Michael and Scotty um, just just turned up the defense and, and you know just made it tough. And they they got it. You know, look, they probably got a few calls. It was a home court, and I remember Scotty just just manhandling slash assaulting Mark Jackson, but that's oh. the way it was. <laughs> oh, 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 Scotty Pippen. I'm still a little bit disappointed with a couple possessions at the end, but, but I thought Jax should have executed better. But, but Scotty Pippen treated him like, like the Knicks treated Scotty Pippen for years. Like, yeah, like, pretty much. Was just, he, he mugged him. He mugged him. There was no call. It was a ridiculous thing. Yeah. And, and Mark, you know, yeah. as you know, uh, you know, not a finesse player, but a guy that's, that's, you know, not as physical as some point guards. Man, he just uh yeah, I, I'm still upset about but, that. But but tough as nails. The only one you're getting the ball oh. from is if you if you foul. You're not getting the ball from Mark Jackson if you foul him. Like, oh know. yeah. Oh yeah. He backed he used his bump and grind better than almost anybody. <laughs> so yeah. oh, speaking of Mark Jackson, here's a guy, and I know, you know, with all your history with him and everything, I look back I look at now and I'm like and I spoke to him about this at the finals last season and and he said you could write it, but I can't. How come he doesn't have a gig? I mean, he's just, he to me, he's like Tony Dungy was for the Buccaneers before John Gruden won the title. Like, he had an oiled machine with the Warriors, and Steve Kerr, you know, a- added a little extra. But I don't know. I just, I think Mark Jackson deserves some kind of, you know, second opportunity as a coach in this league. What do you think that's really about? No, well, I don't know what it's about, but, but 100% he deserves to be a head coach. I think he will be. And, and, yeah, but that, that's just that's my hope. I do think he will be. He's been he's been too good. Um, and look, there's always a, there's always like there's a cycle to these teams. Right? So they don't don't just show up. You know, even the individually, Steph Curry had a really hard time injury wise. Right? Yes, <laughs> to, to get to where he was. You know, part of the part of the reason that team was able to be put together was because of his injury. Because he took a lower deal, and you know, different things happened. But so the people forget the journey that they go on because you you know when 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 you win a championship, that's all you talk about. Mark Jackson engineered um, the steps to the the process to get to that point, didn't get to finish it off. The reasons, I don't know. I was actually working at ESPN when Mark was coaching um, at, yeah. at the Warriors. But I know what, there's no, there's, you can't dispute the great job he did. There's no way. And then, and I think they lost game seven in the semifinals at, at the Clippers, another game seven yeah. on the road. And that was, that was the next step. Um, but uh, I agree, Mike. He, he needs to be a uh, head coach in the NBA, and I think he will be. Andre Iguodala said a rift between um, Warriors president Rick Welts, who's obviously openly gay, and Mark, who expressed his beliefs and he didn't, that he, you know, he didn't accept same-sex marriage in the way that most of, most of the rest of society. He said that he thought that was something he had, that's had something to do with possibly being blackballed. Do you believe that? I have no idea on that. I, you know, yeah. Andre Godalo, he was on that team. Yeah. Um, I, I have no idea um, inside, you know, inside the building what was going on. Yeah. The, that's one of those ones where I need to turn the recorder off and ask. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, but yeah. no. I mean, I, that's straight. Yeah. I don't I don't know. That that could be very well. Andre Godalo, I'm not, I'm not questioning him, but I, I sure don't know. Yeah, no, I, I and I wonder. I mean, it, the NBA is the most inclusive league, and I do think um, while it doesn't restrict beliefs of others, you know, you if you don't look inclusive on paper all the time, I could see I could see them penalizing him in ways that had nothing to do with his coaching ability, right, um, and that's right. just a speculation. I'm not going to come out there and say that's the definitive reason unless I had proof that those conversations were going on. Whatever the reason is, it's wrong and. Mark Jackson needs to get another shot. We both agree yeah, on that. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's non-disputable. His 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 accomplishments as a coach and the fact that he needs to be a coaching NBA guy, I think, is, is we're, yeah. we're on point with that one. All right, Chris Mullen for a few more minutes, uh, my guest on the Mike Wise Show. He's he's as great as he's ever been. Oh, oh, a couple of uh, lightning round things I always wanted to ask. There was a story that even um, Chuck Person in his final days as a pacer, sort of a it sort of like went off like, eh, you're not like you were, Larry. And he challenged Bird to a shooting contest, and and Larry just took him out again, even when he was coach. True or not? 
Um, or did you just I don't know about, about that. No, I don't know about that. I, but I saw Larry shoot him out in the game. Though. I know that much. <laughs> in, one, in one of those playoff games. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, he. Well, Larry told yeah. me once. He said, "I like Chuck, great player." He said he was happy to get to Game Five. I was going to win Game Five, and that's like that's classic Larry Bird to me. You know, yeah, he just no he, was, no he was. Did you guys ever have a conversation about the Great White Hope thing? You and Larry? No, no, that yeah. no, not never. No, we never even looked at at anything but can you play? Yeah. But can can you play? That's all it was. It's amazing to me how people outside the NBA would, would like, in some ways, the way in which Tiger is looked at on the golf course. Like, hey, there's a racial yeah. identification there. I want to look, see somebody who looks like me play. To me, there was so much of that going on with you and Bird and shoot whoever you know Kevin Love now JJ Redick, and I look at it and I go, you know, it's one thing to racially identify; it's another thing if you only like players that look like you. Wait, no, did, you just say, did you just did you just say you're going to play at five? Yeah, I live on a golf course. This guy just pulled up. Oh. He hit a ball in my. He hit a ball in my front yard. He, he says, "You're gonna play that guy." Yeah. When the sun goes down, I'm gonna play. Yeah. I'm gonna play that's just that's, a, that's just disappointing to me, Molly, because I thought you were saying I thought you were gonna get into a run. It's gonna be the three on three. No, Women. That's about it right now. Yeah. Oh, that's great. No, but but look, to to, to me, the basketball has always been the, the greatest. Um, Connected in pe- with people. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it crosses school. race, it crosses a creed, crosses nations. I mean, you're right. It's a beautiful thing, and like I said, in the '70s, going up to Harlem and just just playing ball, man, and just getting accepted. Yeah. Is and then those people are friends of mine to this day, and it's really because of basketball. It broke down barriers, man. It's it's just a beautiful thing, and it never it never came up ever ever ever. It was just, can you play? <laughs> I love that story because Bird said the exact same thing about 20 years ago when I interviewed him about, you know, hey, if you're from Kuwait and you're 6'9 and you can handle a ball or you can shoot, you know, you're going to find a way. And to this day, uh, I, I, it's good to hear that. Um, the the St. John situation, you said you left probably before it was time. You, you did better that program. Um, even though you had a losing record over the time you were there, I think it was 59, 73 or something, you, you did better that program. It said you stepped away for personal reasons. You don't have to go into it or not, but it said that you know it, the, the, the re, one of the reasons was your brother, Roddy, had passed away from cancer. Was that true? Yeah, well, personal reasons being my, my, my reason was personal. It was just time to go. You know, again, okay. there's a lot of different factors that go into my decision making. Um, so that was like that was said, that that wasn't the primary reason, or no, it was, that had a lot to do. My listen, my brother Rob, who was tight as anybody, that was my first hero. Uh, yeah, my, my my older brother, I, he was my my idol. You know, so yeah. and 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 quite frankly, he came to every home game, sat right behind me. Mm. Uh, he loved the games. He loved, you know, those guys. What happened when I, my four years, all my friends from grade school came back, man. They came back to watch and, and cheer us on. And so that part was, there was a lot of great things that happened there. Um, and look, after mm. our first year, which I think you guys have all those analytics, everyone's into analytics. Look yeah. up if there's any, if there's ever been a college team that had one point remaining in three minute playing time. That's what we inherited. Wow. So one more, one more time. I, I think we inherited one point and three minutes of playing time. I think historically the least ever in the history of the sport of basketball. Yes. So, wow. you know, after that first year, we did really, really well. Um, uh, last season, we went twenty-one thirteen, made the NCAA tournament. So the basketball part was was right on par. Um, it's just college basketball has a lot of stuff outside of basketball that just, just yeah. drain it was draining, you know what I mean? Whether it be uh just the daily routine of, you know, making sure you're taking care of teenagers, you know, whether it be class, tutoring, meals, housing, just up and down the line. Um and over time just became just become a bit much, you know, and it's not not that I didn't wanna for four years I did it and I just didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> you yeah. know. Um 
yeah, so they're in a good play. We left them with some good players, you know, uh, definitely not one point in three minutes of playing time. Uh, so they're they're in a good place. Um, yeah. yeah, so, you know, like I said, yeah, but early was, sometimes you got you got to be honest with yourself. And, and, and you know, the, the summers, I like to have my summer. I really do. You know, in the summer recruiting, uh, you go to summer school, you, you have to have that, that summer is really important for those kids to, to develop. We had incredible workouts in the summertime. Our summers were as good as any any uh, I've seen uh, at any level. We just had a great uh, – my staff at Mitch Richmond, Greg St. Jean, our basketball was, was really, really up to par with any NBA oh. staff, I felt. So, uh, yeah, but after a while, I, it becomes a bit much. And you took him to the tournament. I, I mean, having – this is funny. I mean, you – I know you and Roddy were swimmers growing up until, you know, he basically chose hoops and made you choose hoops. And yeah. I look, and my son is like eight now. I got married really late. And he's doing the same thing. He's doing swimming and basketball all summer. Yeah. And, of course, I want him to play basketball. But with my genes, he's going to probably have to swim. But the, bottom <laughs> line, but the bottom line is, like, this was a guy in your life who, I mean, I, I don't know. He, this is a guy, like, in your life who he were, you were seeing him at Sloan, Memorial Sloan Kettering every day. You, you're yeah. worried about your team in the tournament. And I don't know, it just seemed like a lot. And uh, anyway, I, yeah, I, I wanted to, you know. Yeah, yeah, the flip side, too, is like that, that was one of the things I, you know, that we connected on, right? And that wasn't going to be there. So there's a lot yeah. of different things, you know, that that, that go into decision. Yeah. Uh, I will say this, I haven't regretted one day. You know, I'm glad that, that we, I'm glad I did it. I had a great time. I'm also glad I decided to step away. Yeah. Uh, I am too, because you wouldn't have the time to do this. You'd be at some gym. Yeah. In, <laughs> no, uh, no doubt. You, you'd be, be at my. I'd be in some, yeah. yeah, I'd be at the Peach Jam right now watching some bad basketball. Maybe like, not only that, like, like, you pretty much have to recruit off sonograms now. It used to be like, at least you would, uh, at least you would, like, well, like, what's the earliest recruiting that people do now in college in your mind? And, and what, well, you know. Well, 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 first of all, the word recruiting is a, is a polite word. It's, it's probably yeah. not recruiting. It's probably, you know, a lot of other words besides that. Um, and look, St. John's has always been a unique place in that respect. What we had to do, we had, we had, we really went into the, 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 uh, transfer market, which has always been a market for St. John's because kids, even when I played, I played with transfers every year I played there. Because Walter Berry. Leave. But he was, yeah, JC. of course, JC guys and transfers because they would leave, they'd get homesick and come back. That, that yeah. was a market. But in the Big East, a lot of those schools just have really advanced their programs. Um, from facility-wise to different, you know, they just have a lot lot to offer. It's, it's very competitive. Um, but, uh, like I said, so the transfer market was good for us. We had a few JC kids, which was good. Um, What's yeah, the youngest it, it, kid it, it, you ever recruited? That's, I mean, like, I'm talking, went to see a game, like, however the kid was, 10, 8, whatever. And, no, no, no I would never do that. That's, no. Because there's you know, there's, there's guys in your profession who do that. I know it's pretty embarrassing. I think. Yeah, I think so too. I, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. There's, there's a word for that too, but I wouldn't. Yeah. That's that's, called, that's, that's that's ridiculous. It's called child endangerment, pretty much. Something. Yeah. Something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, last ones. I want. I want. Um, the the show began with Chauncey Billups talking about playing for Larry Brown. He had a great clip last week. And, you know, and how he, he could have a triple-double and a win and still never please Larry. You played for LB. Uh, you got to have a story or two about him. No, I never played for Larry Brown. I know oh, that's Larry right, Brown. You did. No, so, so when Larry Bird came in, Larry Brown left. So, But Donnie Walsh knows Larry Brown probably better than anybody. They, they went to college together, yeah. uh, both New Yorkers. Uh, I know every, I know so many people that played for Mark Jackson played for Larry Brown I think four times. <laughs> yeah. Uh the the most fundamental uh dedicated basketball person I know. Loves the game of basketball. Will coach right now if you called him, he'd go to a park and coach a kid. A few years ago, um my family we were out in the Hamptons and my son my son was probably eight or nine. He was mm-hmm. going to some day camp and he came home that in the afternoon and said, Dad um, we're at the park, and this guy came home. He was teaching us 
uh, dribble handoffs. I'm like, okay. Don't cool. tell me it was Larry Brown. Larry Brown. <laughs> that's amazing. Like, at a local park out east in Long Island. Like, you, whether he pulled on the side of the road or he knew, taught my son a dribble handoff. Did he tell? Uh, did your son tell him that he was your son? Yeah, of course he did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, you know, and he came then, home and told me Larry, yeah. Larry Brown told him a dribble handoff and a back cut in the park. Wow. The guy, lo- the guy loves basketball, and, he, and he's a perfectionist. Uh, yeah. My, my own selfish question before you go. I, my eight-year-old's pretty good. I think he's very good for his age. But, I, you know, like, he's eight. And so, like, having kids growing up and the pressure to be the next Chris Mullen or, or Chrissy Mullen or whoever, like, do you – do you do you push your kids or do you back off and just let them find the game on their own? No, I think you got you got to let them find. I would say this one to make sure he gets the fundamental swimming because it's a gift that'll come back. I I didn't swim for forty years. I'm back swimming almost every day. So that's a gift that you can use later on. Oh, like that's good you can play. Yep, that. But also, it's the fine line, right? And and I was talking yeah. to someone yesterday about this of being really into it and, and, and having the passion and desire, but there's gotta be that, the, the, the joy, the joy of playing. Mm-hmm. That's something, that's one of the reasons I moved from coaching because I still enjoyed it. I don't, I, I never want to get to the point where you get bitter and you're feeling like something, you know, they owe you something. No, nah, man, it was great. My four years say it was great. And it was time to move on period. That's the end of story. Yeah. You know, so, so when you're a kid, yeah, it's nice to be into it, and you want, you know, these guys have their trainers, but you got to have fun. So that's the one thing that I think puts the great players over the top. That's why they maintain their high level of work because they're enjoying it. You know, when I was in the gym, I never was looking at the clock when to leave. They had to kick me out, but it wasn't because, <laughs> wasn't that, you know, that was a hard, I was having fun. I wanted more. And that's, that's a gift. That's a talent that, mm. that you know, Kids either develop or they lose, right? Sometimes with this AU, they get run down and they get eroded and they just get sick and tired of being critiqued and judged and you're number one, but then next week you're number four. Somehow the great players, they get they don't care about that. They just go play, right? And then they yeah. love doing it. So that's something I think, it has, you know, the way you're taught is important, right? And also why you're playing. Are you playing to get money, which is a good reason? Are you playing to get recognition, which is a good reason? But to me, the the main reason, get better. Yeah. Get better than when, get better than you were yesterday. And, and love that, the game. That, and then and then maintain that on a daily basis, right? Yeah. Do, do that for the day, and then you know what? Then go get some rest and do it again tomorrow. Yeah, that's what I told him. I said, hey, if I ever want to go to practice more than you do, buddy, and his name's Oliver. I yeah. said you probably need to find another sport because I don't want I want you to lo- I want you to come here and love this every day. And, and not be a work for you, but just fun. And and if it ever goes beyond that, great. If not, you're always going to love the game. But you know how right. I re- you know how I re- you know how I retired. I woke up one woke up one morning, didn't want to go to shoot around, and I said I'm done. Period. Wow, this was in 2001 with the uh, I mean with the Warriors. Yep, I'm out. I woke up and I said I don't want to go shoot around, and I went right. I said, Yo, I'm out. I'm done. I can't I can't cheat the game. This, this is part tell, of the process. Who did, you, who did you tell that to? I told the owner. Oh wow. Who, who yeah. was that? Chris Cohan? Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. You just yep. told that. I, I don't want to go. Wow. That's, That's it. Yeah. I, I love that story. I'm going to get Bird and you on a podcast together once. It's going to be freaking gold. Sure. Uh, <laughs> no. All right. All right. Then I got to ask this before I go, um, because we both love Bruce Bernstein and he's helped us both in life. Um, he, he, he knows you wore number 17 in honor of John Hondo Havlicek, his favorite yep. player of all time. Yep. Um, and did you guys, one, did you have a relationship? And two, did an Irish kid from Brooklyn, pasty-faced Irish kid from Brooklyn, ever want to wear the green and white of the seas? Yeah, so so John Havlicek, my, my grade school, high school coach, Jack Elise, was a huge Celtics fan. He had me watching the Celtics when I was in grade school and had me watching John Havlicek. So that, it was kind of forced upon me. <laughs> right. uh, his, his constant motion, his incredible fitness level, his his uh, commitment to the team. So, yeah, so that was, that was my guy. That's why, that's why I emulated. Um, and actually I got to meet John personally. So, so during the 84 Olympics, uh, we were playing in LA at the forum and, you know, he, he was a, 
college teammate of Bobby Knight, and Bobby Knight was our coach. So post game, one of the one of the games at the forum, uh, after the game there was drug testing. It was random, right? So I got I got picked to do the drug testing. I had to go back in the room and uh, you know drink water so you can you know take a leak to get tested. It took a while. The whole process takes a while. So when I came out, the team had left, and John and his wife were still in the building. And he said, "I'll give you a ride back to the whole, back to the dorms, whatever." And he took a, he took me to eat. So I got to sit down, have dinner with oh. him. Um, and what I remember more, more so than, you know, I was in awe and and his legendary status as a you know as a player. That's how I knew him. But just his humility. Um, mm. I felt like I, I was having dinner with someone I knew my whole life, and he was like my uncle. And wow. it was just a heartwarming guy. And, yes, yeah, so that, that's a yeah. memory I have, you know, that, you know, not many people know, but um, and he recently passed this year. And just, uh, yeah. again, just a guy who just – you talk about class and, and humility. Uh, that's John Howard. Yeah. Um, Molly, this has been great, man. I really appreciate the time. Uh, you know, like I said – the basketball was great. The the things you did for others were great. But, you know, the, I really salute you for your sobriety and what you've meant to um, helping others beyond the game. I mean, you, you want there's a lot of people who use the tool of basketball. I mean, they take basketball and they use it not as a means to an end, but they use it to help others. Man, I can't think of many more than you. So for what it's worth, it, um, thank you, man. I appreciate that, Mike, and, and really it was, it was all taught to me by my parents and, 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 and mentors and, and teammates and coaches along the way. And, and your brother, Roddy. No doubt, of course, my family, yeah, no doubt. That's, that, that's, that's what it's all about, and like you said, it's about giving back and sharing, sharing the knowledge, sharing the love. So I appreciate it. Always good to connect. Uh, oh, thank you, man. That was Chris Mullen. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thanks again to Molly. Thanks to my producer and Monica McNutt's loyal sidekick, Bruce Bernstein. Also to our editing wizard, Ben Wolfett. Next week, it's the best of Mike Wise with great segments from Jamal Crawford, Jeannie Buss, PJ Carlissimo, Isaiah Thomas, and many others. Peace, love, and Woodstock, all you dudes and dudettes. See ya! The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.